unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Coming up on this episode, we'll do another Media Spotlight Edition. As we talk about, among other things, Jim Nance leaving NCAA tournament action after this coming season. Eric Lopez of Black and Gold Banneret. Adam Eaton from the Sons of UCF. They're my media spotlight guys, and they will join me to talk about that and more in just a few moments. So, over the weekend in college football, we had an incident of big proportions with a couple of Michigan players getting beat down in the tunnel by some Michigan State players, clearly outnumbered. Now, not absolving the Michigan players of anything whatsoever, the Michigan State players, however, boy, that was an out-of-control situation. Could have ended up much worse. I think, first and foremost, not just swift action, but the swift action needs to come from the school itself. Not waiting for the conference to hand out the punishment. Recording here on Tuesday evening. I have not seen any news of that yet in the last couple hours. First of all, in my opinion, they should be kicked off the team, but at the very least suspended for the rest of the season. And again, that should come from the team, not from the conference. But the conference should have additional punishment for Michigan State, including hefty fines and maybe even, I don't know, Michigan State may not be bowl eligible. (laughs) (laughs) So that may take care of itself, but the conference really should smack the school pretty hard as that goes. Well, the Drama Kings, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, their terrible seasons continue. Nobody enjoying it more than me. And of course, that means that enjoyment will come to an end because I will just jinxed it and they will go on and have great seasons. (laughs) That's how it works for me as a sports fan, but... Big thing about Rodgers that I'm continuing to be more annoyed at because of all the drama is, does this guy ever take blame for anything? Somebody correct me if I'm wrong here, but does he ever take blame for anything? That is a curious thought as far as I am concerned. And Tom Brady, look, I sympathize with anybody that's going through family and marital issues that you know I don't wish that upon anybody that's not that's not cool um but again you know he's a 45 year old quarterback it's gotta his career has to end sometime right so but you do see from Brady you see a little bit of douchiness with his attitude you know he clearly is a guy not used to losing. And look, I have nothing against being a sore loser because that means you're not winning very much, probably. But he takes it to very big extreme. All right, as we do another Media Spotlight edition of the show, I bring in my guys to help me do that. As always, we welcome Eric Lopez and Adam Eaton. Guys, 
Glad to have you here. Good to be back. It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's been too long. Good to good to have the bands back together again, Jeff. Yes, we did the uh, we did a little stuff going into football season. We broke down all the broadcast teams and whatnot. So now we're going to pick up uh, with some you know some late news that has come in, and also kind of like go through some of the the stuff like the MLB playoffs and things like that. So first, we're going to lead off, and and I know uh, Eric is probably going to have a little bit of a, a of a broken heart with this uh, Jim Nance moving off the NCAA tournament. Uh, after this season, uh, Ian Eagle will take over the top spot as uh, Jim Nance will be uh, just sticking to golf and football. And uh, let's get some initial reactions to that. And Eric, I guess we should start with you. Gee, why? Just because I have a profile photo with Jim Nance. They took a photo uh, you're in, on my you're Twitter. A, hey, you're, you're a stand. It's okay. <laughs> that was from the Amway Center when uh, the American Athletic Conference tournament was going on, and Jim Nance was scouting UCF versus, I think, Houston in the quarterfinals because CBS actually had the championship semis and the the semis and the championship game, and we got to meet up and talk. But this is uh, pretty big. I mean, this will be his 32nd and final Final Four that he's called. And I think, it, and you know, he's done an interview since. It's fitting. It's in Houston. That's obviously when he went to school at the University of Houston. The Cougars, by the way, I mean, college basketball starting. Houston's a national title contender this year. So can you imagine that storyline? Because Jim Nance started out covering the five Slamma Jamma teams with Elijah and Drexler. He was, he was actually in the stands for the 83 national title game, NC State Houston. So 40 years later, he could be calling the last final four of his career could be Houston involved. So, um, this is a significant moment. You think, realize Dick Emberg and Brent Musburger, who he took over for, Brent Musburger, they both called only six Final Fours in comparison. Just That, that just gives you an idea how significant this is uh, for him. Not a surprise. I think it makes a ton of sense. Ian Eagle had just signed a contract extension. Sooner or later, he was going to get something. I think this makes a ton of sense that he's the heir apparent there. He'll probably do a majority of the regular season games with Bill Rafter, which they have a history with. So it's a good segue. It is interesting. Nance will still be involved. He'll still do the trophy presentation uh, at the Final Fours moving forward. But I I like the move for him. I like the move going out on top in Houston on CBS, which he mentioned nothing against Turner. I thought that was interesting. He wanted his last basketball game he called to be on CBS. Adam? Yeah, I think it's a win-win-win for everybody around. I mean, to Eric's point, uh, Jim gets to go out the way he wants to go out, right? This isn't a situation where he kind of becomes Chris Berman-esque, where it's kind of like, hey, is this guy past his prime, or what should we do here? He kind of gets to go out on his own accord, you know, on the network he wants to go out on, in the place he wants to go out. Uh, so I think it's a, it's a win from Jim Nance's perspective. I think it's a win from CBS's standpoint, right? They had Ian Eagle there. I think he's definitely put in the work. Um, you know, no disrespect to Jim Nance, but obviously Ian Eagle's around College of Basketball throughout throughout the season, throughout the regular season. So he certainly has familiarity with some of the matchups, some of the storylines. Obviously, he's worked with with Bill Raftery in the past. So I think that's a, a good booth, a, a natural synergy there. Uh, it's probably good for the fans too, right? I mean, you continue to get top quality broadcasting. And, you know, I know to Eric's point, they just signed Ian Eagle, you know, to a deal. But, you know, heaven forbid he had gone someplace and CBS is left scrambling with who do we throw in that seat as well. So I think it's a rare win, win, win. I think it allows Nance to focus on the things he probably wants to do and the things he's best at, frankly. 
frankly, which is golf and football. Um, it allows the viewer to, again, have a great experience. There are always those naysayers, right? We've talked about this before that say Nance just swoops in for the big game and then swoops out. And your college <laughs> basketball purist, Jeff's pointing at himself, your college <laughs> basketball purist always gets a little bit ruffled about that, right? So those purists out there, the Jeffs of the world in this case, you know, get a chance to have a consistent product. I'm more interested to find out, and maybe I've missed this throughout the throughout time. There's so much stuff going on. What's Grant Hill's role in this booth going forward? Obviously, to your point, Eric, um, you know, Ian Eagle, Bill Raffrey have worked together before. Grant Hill's now leading USA basketball in some capacity. He's got his NBA stuff with Turner. Uh, I think I saw he was trying to get involved to buy the Phoenix Stuns. He'd have to divest in the Atlanta Hawks to do that. But he seems like he has a lot of interest outside of, of broadcasting. I wonder what his role is. And does CBS take this to a two-person booth with uh, with Eagle and Raftery down the road? Well, yeah, we- it's worth mentioning, Grant Hill has worked with Ian Eagle both sure. in college and the NBA. So it's not like that's a complicated thing, but you're right. What I think there's a rippling effect here. What happens to Jim Sparnarkle? Who I has love been, James Bernarco, right? yes. Who yeah. has been the teammate with Ian Eagle through all this time. Does Jim Sparnarco now, does he still get to call a Sweet 16 on Elite Eight, or does he get bumped down? Who does he get paired with? And then, you know, now if you got Eagle, I would assume Kevin Harlan and Brian Anderson will be three-fourths of your Sweet 16 broadcast play-by-play guys. Who becomes that fourth guy? Is it uh, an Andrew Catalan? Is it a Sparrow Didis? Uh, that's a wide open chair now that opens up after this year. So this there is a rippling effect here uh, that changes. And then another name you answer about, what about you know Bill Rafter? Jay Wright is now with CBS. Does Jay Wright, you know, now they're saying for now he's going to be in studio in the final four, but could down the road he become the third guy? There's some people that think Jay Wright could be the guy that replaces Bill Rafter uh, down the road. Yeah, I could uh, definitely see that. And again, uh, you mentioned uh, like during the pandemic, uh, sec- the, in 21, uh, Grant Hill worked with Ian and and people thought that he brought a lot more out of Grant Hill yes. uh, during that experience. And of course, it wasn't a three man. And, and, and maybe it doesn't have to be a three man uh, going forward. You know, that's there's always that thing. And, you know, I, I'm kind of left to wonder, too, because Ian Eagle re-upped his contract before Jim Nance did. So I'm wondering if he had that inkling that this was coming because he certainly could have gone out on the open market and, you know, been a big hitter at Fox, for example. Uh, so I'm wondering if there was some all behind the scenes planning for this. I could, buy that. I, I, could buy, I could buy that where, hey, you know, you know, Jim's probably, you know, and I'm sure you know, they have a good relationship from what I understand. I haven't heard anything negative. Uh, in fact, Jim Nance did an interview with Dan Patrick, he even said he started thinking about maybe 2021 being his last final four. But because of the COVID, that was the year that everything was Indianapolis. He just didn't feel right about it. So uh, I could see that where Ian was told, hey, man, no, just hold on here. You'll get to be the voice of the final four. Jim's not going to do too many more of these. And boy, you look at it with the CBS Turner aspect of it. Ian Eagle does NBA games on Turner. They've got both Kevin Harlan and Ian Eagle. This seems to me like a very satisfactory uh, middle ground with Kevin Harlan kind of being the voice of the NBA now on TNT. It looks like, although they never officially announced it, but he did the Western Conference final last year. I'm assuming I haven't heard any indications he's not. And now Ian Eagle's the voice of the of the March Madness. I feel like this is a good compromise for both all those two guys who are arguably, along with Mike Breen, maybe the three best basketball play-by-play guys in the in the right now going in the in the sport. 
And they have synergy with both networks, too. Which makes it easier with yeah. the Turner-CBS relationship there with the NCAA tournament and beyond. Yeah, I think if you're if you're eyeing Eagles agent and you did not ask about the uh, the succession planning for Jim Nance, I mean you're derelict in your duties, right? That has to be something that his agent says, "Hey, listen, before we resign this, let's talk about what that looks like." And Eric's got a great point, right? Obviously, there there may be some uh, maybe it's I don't want to call it hurt feelings, but there's probably a lot of uncertainty with the NBA stuff, right? Who is that? Who is that? You know, that lead voice, and this does feel like a really nice, happy medium for everybody involved. Everybody gets their signature property. Um, you know, again, Ian Eagles a, a, a pro in the business. Uh, so everybody kind of wins in this one. That's why I think it's a rare win, 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 win. Everyone sort of gets what they want, what they need. Um, and again, I think probably the most important thing is Nance gets to do it on his terms. And I imagine that's important to him. And I imagine CBS hopefully wants to give him that luxury to give him the respect to say, hey, do this, do this on your terms um, and, and kind of go out the way you want to go out. So I think it's a rare win, win, win. The only loser here is unfortunately Eric because he loses Jim Nance on basketball. Jeff's smiling pretty though because he, he he gets to not have the, the helicopter Nance factor so i mean you know eris lost jeff's gain i guess hey, i don't know well i mean jim nance i it will always be the voice right now that has called the the most watched ucf sporting event ever just, which was the ucf duke game that is true go. and my and my feeling about that wasn't so much as a basketball purist but more as a you know thinking of it from a broadcaster's perspective you know you're the guy that you know does NCAA basketball throughout the throughout the season, and then somebody just comes in out of nowhere to to be the top thing, and that kind of goes to something that I've kind of been, you know, thinking that this evolution was going to happen too, because you know, with the amount of sports out there, you know, you don't have to have one guy call all your major events anymore, because there's just so much out there that you know this stuff can be divided up, you know, and you know ultimately. And maybe Jim Nance did learn because that's what cost Brent Musburger at CBS. He had everything under his belt, including the NFL today, the the NBA, doing college basketball. And he would not give up any of it, uh, you know, because they, they had Nance. They had James Brown, guys waiting in the wings to do this stuff that CBS wanted to, to promote. And Brent held on to it with an iron fist. And that ultimately cost him. Yeah, and, and Jim Nance was part of that. He, he saw that up close and how awkward that was with the Musburger situation because that broke during that Final Four in 1990. This time, they're going to celebrate him in Houston. You know they're going to celebrate him. I'm making this bold prediction. You're going to see Jim Nance's face pop up on that one shining moaning, uh, moment video. <laughs> he's going to be included mm. in that. You know he's there. They're going to have a call of his, and they're going to show his face. It's going to be wild there. Um, and I think, look, if you're an Iron Eagle and his representatives – this was the common sense move, right? This was the one sport of the three he was going to give up. He ain't giving up the NFL with Tony Romo. Nobody, as we've learned this year, guys, when we do our year in review, the NFL, nobody gives up the NFL chair. Joe Buck gave up the World Series to stay with the NFL uh, and so forth. So everybody stays with the NFL. And then Jim Nance, obviously, he's a golf guy. He's probably the greatest voice in golf history. His goal is to work uh, I believe the he said in an interview with uh, Dan there, he wants to work the 100th Masters, which is 14 years from now, which means that would be 51 Masters he would be involved in. So I think he's got his goals there. He has to settle down. He does have kids, which he's brought up. And I think that's, of the three sports, this was the, the most logical one for him to give up. 
course, you uh, bring us to a uh, Adam. Do you have one more thing on that? Or? Yeah, I was gonna say when you think of uh, you know Jim Nance, right? I I, I I agree with Eric. You think of Masters. That's that's the first. That's the word association for me is Jim and Jim Nance's Masters, right? So I think that makes sense to say. If I'm going to, you know, lessen my workload a little, a little bit, let me go all in on the masters to Eric's point. Let me get a little bit of quality of life. You know, I still have the emeritus role here at CBS if I ever want to swoop back in for something. Right. But I think you'll, you let him focus on the masters. I think that's a nice, you know, if, if you did the, you know, the, the caption for, you know, for Jim Nance, it's probably masters announcer, masters, you know, master ceremony, whatever that title would be. That's probably the, on the first thing on the masthead. The big loser, I think I would say on all this, probably Brian Anderson. Think about about a year, two years ago, there was speculation he could be the voice of the NBA, maybe mm-hmm. the mix in the NCAA tournament. Doesn't get either, it looks like. Yeah, but he does have a significant baseball role. True. At, no, at I'm not saying I feel too. sorry for him. Not yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you gave us a good segue because, uh, you know, you talked about Joe Buck, you know, left the World Series for the NFL. And, of course, Fox, you know, they 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 went with two guys to replace him. They went Kevin Burkhardt on the NFL, and they went Joe Davis, who's calling his first World Series. And uh, I don't know how much of the uh, MLB playoffs you guys have had a chance to watch, but uh, what do you think of Joe Davis's work as, uh, as he winds his way? And, of course, we're early into the World Series at this stage. I like it. I, I really do. I mean, I haven't really looked, you know, tuned in and said, oh, my goodness, I miss Joe Buck. You know, and that's no disrespect to Joe Buck, but I think I think John Smoltz is fantastic. I, I think he gets a maybe doesn't get as much um, as credit as he deserves. I think he's a really good uh, color announcer. I think he helps Joe Davis a little bit. Uh, I've heard Joe Davis before, so it's not a unique voice. It's not a strange sound to me. Um, I, I think he's doing a nice job. I, I really do. Like, I, I, there's not much I can I can really nitpick with Joe. He's going to get better. He's going to learn. But in terms of the quality of the broadcast. And, and, you know, sort of the way the telecast has gone. I don't really have a, a huge I didn't have a visceral reaction that I tuned in and it wasn't Joe Buck. Right. In some respects, kind of to Eric's point, I've almost now associated Joe Buck more with football. So in some I probably would have been more taken back initially if it was Joe Buck's voice. I actually think it makes a lot of sense um, the way that they position the, the, the broadcast at Fox. Um, and Joe Davis has sort of been moving and moving and moving up that chair. I, I think it's a quality broadcast. I've had no issues um, with the way that Joe Davis has handled it. I think Fox, you know, at least on the baseball side, I think I think that's a, a nice, easy transition. I, I haven't seen a lot of social media complaint about it. Uh, maybe I'm not searching the right areas or I need to you know, pay my Elon Musk a dollar fee or something. I don't know. But I haven't <laughs> seen a lot of uh, social media backlash against Joe Davis. So I've been I think it's steady. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't rank it as the best broadcast I've ever seen, but I think it's a steady, uh, steady broadcast. I think it's still too it's to be determined. It's his first postseason as the guy. You know, usually signature moments kind of define that guy. Now, he had one with Bryce Harper and the home run in the eighth inning against the Padres. That was a good call there. But I do miss Joe Buck. Now, that's that's all we've known, what, for over 25 years as the World Series. And think of some of the iconic moments he's gotten to call. The Cubs winning the World Series, the Red Sox. I mean, uh, the Braves winning the World Series last year. I mean, I, he's, I think it's – I do think it's been missed. And I do think one thing about the baseball postseason, I've watched a lot of it is this is a transitional period as far as who is the baseball voice of the sport is it going to be joe davis is it brian anderson now joe davis has the edge because he's the world series guy but i'll tell you i thought adam amin has been the best guy in the postseason i thought he was spectacular for the dodgers padre series i i thought he was phenomenal and then bob costas got 
was polarizing, which was I never thought I would see the day that Bob Costas would become polarizing on Twitter. Maybe the greatest sportscaster in the history of sports in this industry, but he got ridiculed and some of it justified uh, by his performance in the uh, call in the uh, Yankee series uh, in the LDS. So I think for baseball, it's kind of like, who is that guy? For baseball, will it be Joe Davis? Maybe in time. He needs a couple signature moments. Will it happen in this World Series? Who knows? Uh, but I, I do think the sport misses Joe Buck a little bit. Yeah, that's interesting too. And in, in how uh, you know, let's let's go to the Costas thing because I, I I found that very interesting because you know I'm from the generation of Bob Costas, right? Me too. You, you know, and Same. and you know, I enjoyed having him. I thought he elevated TBS quite a bit because you know. After Brian Anderson, you know, they they mix and match some people in there over the years. And uh, I thought Costas was a level up from that, you know, and and, and I like the, the the I like the history lessons to me. That's what baseball has built its lore on is its history. So I think I think that's a good thing. Now, sometimes does he get a little carried away? Probably. Uh, but I, I did find it very interesting that, you know, he was getting roasted pretty high and heavy on Twitter and uh, and, and elsewhere. Yeah, obviously he took he took a license at times with with a, with some commentary, right? I think it is what it is. But I think you hit on it, Jeff. Is this generation, you know, of baseball watchers, right, hasn't really been listening to Bob Costas on a consistent basis, and he's completely different from everybody else we're talking about, right? Even his style of broadcasting is is completely different from what we're talking about. A lot of broadcasters now are just kind of in and out. What's the play? Let's describe it. Throw it to the color man. Let's get back. Bob obviously wants to take a more active role in the way he calls games, and I think it's just it's a stylistic thing that people aren't used to and if you haven't heard him in a while haven't listened to it it's probably a bit jarring for for some of you particularly the younger viewers who to your point jeff hasn't grown up kind of thinking this way again he took license at times like there are certainly some moments where it got a tad preachy on some on some things right but again i think to me it, it felt like a normal costas broadcast like as they went on twitter and like saw all the jokes about like you know bob lecturing people i thought they were funny actually but i didn't i didn't in the, in the spot like i never had a reaction like oh bob don't do that but as you go on twitter and you see everyone kind of looking at it i think the, that audience though is is not used to that style of broadcast and i think that's where that's where bob's just kind of kind of different like I, I didn't personally have an issue with it but i could see how if you're 26 tuning into the playoffs and you're a diehard fan of whatever the yankees or the or the guardians how that could be a tad off-putting i guess but i didn't i didn't see it as a, as a huge major issue i think part of it i didn't think him and darling was a good combo no clear yeah and i think i think that influences that because I think you're only as good as your analyst. That's one thing I've learned in doing this stuff in a, in a much smaller scale. If you can build that chemistry with your analyst and you create conversation, that be, creates a better broadcast. And I think with Bob, you, he, like him and Jim Cott worked great on MLB Network because yes. Jim Cott would follow up on what Bob was saying, whereas Ron Darling was kind of like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Let's, uh, I'm just focused about what's going on on me. Plus, you know, Ron Darling's working with Brian Anderson most of the year, and he's working with the Mets. So I just thought there was it was a, it, it just didn't have chemistry there. And I think that when that happens, that's going to show on the play-by-play guy more of the criticism. Because at the end of the day, he's the quarterback of the broadcast. You're going to get the blame if the broadcast is not go, is not a certain way. Uh, I'm a history buff. I like using history on my broadcast, and Bob is one of the big reasons why. I thought he got better as the series went on. I think that's the other thing that got missed in this. He hadn't called a series hmm. since, I believe, 2000, the ALCS Yankees members. I think he got caught in having all this information, all this stuff he wanted to have for a series 
and the games didn't really the pace didn't match it and sometimes that happens when you have all this stuff and the game maybe he's going too quick or not i think that happened above i think he figured it out by the end of the series i thought his game five was perfect was great i think he kind of had to figure things out on the fly himself yeah that's a that's an interesting take there i, I can definitely see uh where yeah he kind of had to get his rhythm more more or less uh big big you, it's yeah. tough yeah. It's tough, especially I don't think Bob had worked a regular season, a game in months because him, him and yeah. Brian Anderson, I guess, had been splitting TBS. But Brian's kind of had most of the second half. So that's also, I think, a factor. I think he said he only done he did like 20 games this year. Yeah, I do believe play by play broadcasting is a rhythm. You have to have a rhythm like that. First, if you take time off, you are get that first couple games are going to be rough. Yeah, well, uh. Interesting, too, that I found uh, during during this. So, you know, Fox, you know, because, you know, Kevin Burkhart has been their studio host all season long. Now, they made the move. Typically, you know, you know, Joe Buck, when he was doing baseball, would not do football. But they decided with Kevin Burkhart doing football to keep him on football when it conflicted with baseball. So he's not doing the studio uh, in when the football is going on. So they have definitely decided and probably for good reason. It's his first year being the lead guy for football. They probably don't want to, you know, yank him out, then put him back in and yank him out and put him back in. So I, I find the, the, the way they're handling their personnel in that regard has been pretty interesting. Different yeah. old too, as being the studio guy versus the play-by-play guy of a world series too. That That's yeah. the other big factor. The weird thing, Adam, didn't you find it weird though? Like, I believe I forget which game it was. It was the maybe I think it was one of the World Series. He did the pregame, but he wasn't there for the postgame. Matt versus Kirsten like popped in for the postgame. Like, wait, you like you literally forced him to do the pregame, and then he flew out to San Francisco. I remember he hasn't gotten good luck with the scheduling as far as going yeah. out west versus Philadelphia. But like, really, we got to split the the hosting duties? That was odd, odd to me. Go uh, uh, to me. I just think, you know, for, if you're Kevin Burkhardt, this is maybe just my thinking on it, right? Like, I fought and waited so long to get the number one chair. You're going to pry it out of my cold, dead fingers. Like, I'm going to be here for every game that I can be here for because I don't want to get Wally pipped out of this chair in my first season. I think there's probably an element of, of Burkhardt from that standpoint. And Eric hit it in the head. You know, studio versus play-by-play, yeah, I think, is a, is a huge difference. And I think, you know, again, he's fought for that chair. I don't think he wants to give that up. I think he wants to make sure he's there every Sunday at 4 or 5 p.m. rubbing shoulders with Greg Olson. That way he's establishing that rhythm. I also wonder, too, how much of this is – I'd be curious if, if he's ever on a show on, on Marshand or somebody after this. How much of that is was his asking and how much of that was Fox asking, right? I think Buck probably had the gravitas to go, hey, you know what? I'm not going to that game. And what's Fox going to do? Tell him, no, you have to, right? But I wonder if Kevin Burkhardt was like, yeah, you know what? I'll do it. Yeah, I'll go. Like, I'll, I'll be there. And I, I think – I put myself in, in, in issues. I've worked so hard. I, I wanted to get to this chair. Maybe there's some people who don't know if I really deserve this chair. Everybody wanted Al Michaels. Everybody wanted somebody else in this seat. Like I'm gonna, I'm you're, you're gonna have to pry it out of my cold dead fingers because I'm gonna be here at four or five for kickoff. And I wonder especially, if there's just a, a psyche there. There, especially there's scrutiny, right? That's his yeah. first year. Him and Greg. We don't know. We'll, you know. I think the jury's still out. You want to get as many games because in, get as God many reps for, in. Heaven forbid they put somebody, I mean, throw a name in there, right? Like, heaven forbid they, they Adam, move somebody up. Adam, Adam Amin. Amin yeah. And him and Greg Olson kill it on the broadcast, yes. right? And all of a sudden, now you've got, like, you know, knuckleheads like us being like, well, you know, that Amin and Olsen, you know, team wasn't so bad. And all of a sudden, there's the rumor start. If I'm, if I'm Kevin Burkhart, I want no part of that. I will be there at 405. I'll see you there. 100% right. agree. I mean, nobody will admit it publicly, but there is yes. ego when it comes to this stuff. And rightfully so. 
it's a competitive business, man. Uh, I, I agree. And I think that's, yeah, that doesn't surprise me one bit. All right. So, Adam, for our younger audience and your best Bob Costas, can you explain what oh. being Wally Pip is? <laughs> Wally Pip, poor Wally Pip, uh, well, first baseman, I believe, of the Yankees, uh, got injured. Lou Gehrig uh, came in. I'm, you may have heard of him, and he played a bunch of games afterwards. <laughs> Check out Bob Costas for more details uh, on that one. But I agree with Eric. It's an ego thing, man. Like, I, I wouldn't. I, I mean, I hope he'd be more secure, but you also, you know, t- t- this is a very fickle business, right? Like you, you have one bad game and, and the boo birds are out on especially Twitter and all NFL. of a sudden, especially, and especially the, the prime NFL game. This isn't like this, you know, the, the Panthers Saints game that you're going to hide <laughs> at like one o'clock in the, in that first window. This is going to be the marquee game every week. I'm, I'm Kevin Burkhardt. I'll be there. No arm, hey, you, no leg, missing a lung, whatever you need. I'll be there. <laughs> um, you made a great point about Adam Amin too, because I will tell you, so, as a Cowboys fan, I typically will watch the game with the audio from the Cowboys radio network. So I could not watch the start of the game. So I watched on tape delay. And of course, Adam Amin was working with Boos Johnston. So, and of course, you know, we know Moose. He's, you know, goes up and down the ladder at Fox, but he's, he's reliable. He's consistent. But I will tell you that I heard a better version of the Moose working with Adam Amin. Adam Amin filling in for Joe Davis. Of course, they're good friends. They go way back. But Adam Amin filling in for Joe Davis. There's a great example there, Adam. What just Jeff yep. just did right there. Look yep. at that. He's, Jeff's creating a controversy already. <laughs> he, he Wally Pip somebody. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> Unbelievable. Do you think Carl Ravage will get Wally Pipped here? Uh, there was a lot of criticism on him and the uh, ESPN crew for the playoffs there. Yeah. yeah. To me, he just doesn't do it for Sunday Night Baseball. I No. Yeah. You know, it just, it, it just kind of lacks likes the punch i guess well that's i mean that's an interesting scenario too right because you know I, i'm not going to compare carl ravich and jim nansen but <laughs> ravi has had the baseball seat for a long time right he's he's been their baseball guy through and through after all the different changes around him you know you, you sort of give him that opportunity to take this chance of play by play now what do you do Right. Like, how, how, do, how do you unseat this? Because he's clearly somebody that should be revered ESPN. He probably would be uh, continue to be very good on baseball tonight. But now you're kind of stuck here. So what do you do with your marquee voice or face in that sport? How do you kick him out of the chair and bring somebody else in new? I don't think Ravi's going to give that chair away. No, but it, it's kind of that same concept. Like, go out on your own terms. And now they're sort of stuck with that one unless they want to make a move and ruffle feathers. I think he's fortunate, though. He's fortunate because it doesn't seem like Joe Buck will get in back involved in baseball. So if that's the case, he doesn't have to worry about Joe Buck. Otherwise, that'd be a huge shadow. And then with the recent news that John Shambi will take over for Dan Shulman next year to be the voice of the World Series on the radio side. So it seems like they've pleased Shambi. Joe seems to be happy with not involved in baseball. So there's really not that threat to Carl Ravage as a result. Now, if they could just talk Shulman into coming back to the TV side for Sunday Night yeah. Baseball. <laughs> He's happy yeah. doing those Blue Jay games. Yeah. That's the thing. He's happy going in Toronto, man. And that's the thing. The local play-by-play guys are super popular. Uh, and no sport shows that more than baseball. And yeah. you know, I think that's and I think Shulman sees that and he's like and in fact Shulman said one of the reasons why he's given up the World Series is for the possibility if the Blue Jays make a deep run in postseason, he gets to call it over there in Canada. Yeah, there you go. So uh let's switch over to college football. So uh big news uh financially, the Big Twelve media rights have been uh renegotiated with uh, ESPN and Fox, so a lot more money to be had for the conference, a lot more money to be had for our very own UCF Knights as they uh, enter the Big 12 next season. So uh, what, what do you guys think about how this, uh, how this contract affects the college football landscape? 
very uh, significant. I mean, a year or so, or so people were wondering if the Big 12 is going to survive. It's not going to survive. What's it going to get? And it's not only that, they're going to get a really good deal. They're going to stay with ESPN and Fox. Uh, who would have thunk that a couple years ago? So the exposure is going to be there uh, from a football standpoint and for all sports. And I think UCF will actually get more exposure moving forward. Maybe some earlier kick times, though. That might upset some feathers there, Jeff. You're a season ticket holder. You might have to get there earlier there. But more money. Think about it. UCF's making, what, $7 million in the American? Could go up to as much as fifty. Once they get to the kick in with the Big 12 new deal. So that's a big jump, big advantage for all the sports. Basketball, I thought that was an interesting sidebar to this. I think basketball helped in this deal by re upping there. Fox is going to get a piece of the Big 12 basketball. So I think UCF basketball is going to get more exposure than ever before. So it's a win win for them. The Big 12 is kind of in that position now as the number three conference in football, perhaps with the ACC. We wait and see what happens with the Pac 12. But Live television uh, dominates the landscape right now, and the Big 12 was able to take advantage of that by getting themselves, I thought, a good deal. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. I think new commissioner Brett Yormark, I think he wanted to get to the table first, right? Beat the Pac-12 to their deal, set the market, and this is kind of where we're at. If you think about it, how crazy this is with the Big 12, they're the conference, I think I have this right, that has lost the most teams in the last 10 yeah. years, yet their valuation you know, went up, which is crazy to think about, right? They've lost their two, they're losing their two top properties, arguably, I guess, in Texas and Oklahoma, but they've lost more teams in the last you know, 10, 15 years than any other conference, and yet their valuation went up. So I, I think you have to look at you know what your mark strategy was is i think he wants to be first to table he wants a first to first to table first to market um i think he's very clear he wanted something very linear right where you hear about the pac-12 you know flirting with amazon flirting with apple again and not that's not that that's a bad thing but i think it was very important to stay linear which he which he accomplished that he's going to be on sort of the, the top two networks really from from that standpoint no disrespect to cbs i don't know if we know where they're going to play in the college football space kind of long term um and he got a deal done that that i think a lot of the presidents and universities uh, of universities were were you know off the bob bowlsby statement that their valuation was cut in half losing texas oklahoma to now come back and swing the pendulum on the other side um i think that's interesting the one thing that's uh, that's you know funny about the deal is i've kind of you know looked in a little bit more sort of the, the tier th- three right element of it right so the tier three rights i think are all staying with espn and fox if i have that right so yes. that's an interesting revenue stream that they lose out on that the pac-12 can hold so when eric you know when you talk about like where is this going to slot as the pac-12 comes in that could be the the differentiator between the two but i think if you're your mark you take the bird in the hand you have a really good deal on the table it gives your teams in, an influx of money it sets the market a little bit and you sort of turn to the pac-12 and say all right go beat that and and, and we weren't no one was beating the Big Ten. Nobody was being the SEC. So I think they take their opportunity to fall in line. And here's the crazy thing. They're, they're, this deal, I think they can get out of it before the, the original ACC deal is, is up. So the ACC's got 14 more years left on their deal, whatever that number is. And the Big 12 can actually get back to the table before that. So I think all in all, where things are at, I think it's a, it's a good deal for the Big 12. I think it sets the market. And if you're Brett Yormark, you needed a nice big swing early on in your tenure. He's got something now he can use. Now you start to build and grow uh, the big 12 from there how much i will say that by the way the tier three to your point that was kind of the longhorn network rule if you will back in the day where they allowed the schools to kind of sell off the games to you know the regional channels like fox sports oklahoma or now valley sports oklahoma or the longhorn network or what oklahoma's been doing now basically what that means is all of those properties uh will be on espn plus 
especially the, uh, you know, some of the basketball, but uh, all the Olympic sports, which obviously affects uh, people like me. So I'm hoping that's going to be a benefit to me down the road as well. And other people that I, you know, that work uh, on the SBN Plus room there. So, uh, but you mentioned the Pac-12. What do they do with the Pac-12 network? Can they monetize that somehow? Does Amazon pay? Those are the questions. Otherwise, does some of the Pac-12 schools think, hey, maybe we should try to consider going to the Big 12? That's that's the next step now, the mixed question. Well, I wonder how much the Big 12 benefited by the Big 10 with their new deal because, you know, it, it, they went heavy with CBS and NBC. Yes. And then ESPN had to come back to fill a lot of that space. Yeah. Well, that's why getting first to market is huge, right? Because now you, you suck up that inventory need from an ESPN perspective. So now you have the blocks that are left and that's where they can go back to you know the Pac-12 and go, hey, you know what? We only need a couple blocks. Like you want to sell me all this? I don't need all that. I just need this. And that's where that deal may be interesting. So I think that's, I assume, I mean, we haven't talked to Brett Yormark at any length here outside of a couple <laughs> of questions out of UCF Presser, but I assume that was his strategy, right? Get to the table first, get the ink on the paper before the Pac-12, you know, eat up that inventory and let the Pac-12 figure out where where to get it from there too um and i assume that was the strategy i mean again haven't spoke to him but that would make some sense i figure you're booking him right you got him on the show I'm, yet? I'm, right now I'm, I'm emailing everybody <laughs> <laughs> but i will say this you make a great point jeff i think the big 10 did have a factor in this in a lot of ways by cbs and nbc both going in on the big 10 that took away at least one network that might have been interested in the big 12 so if let's say nbc or cbs doesn't get involved in the big 10 maybe your mark you know, waits longer thinking he can get more money because you have extra people involved. But instead, I think he looked at the, you know, kind of what everybody's kind of looking at. It's like, eh, maybe we should get a deal done now and get the spots. And as you mentioned, ESPN needed to get some spots. Fox still has to have spots because you can't carry Big Ten football uh, all every day. Uh, and, the, and ESPN can't carry SEC all day. So, or ACC for that matter. So I think it kind of, yes, the Big Ten, I think did there, there was a domino effect here that the Big Ten started. And now the Big 12 continue. Now we'll see what that means for the Pac-12. All interesting stuff. Uh, so let's uh, take a look at uh, college game day. So Pat McAfee is the the new man on the scene there. And I have an interesting thought, you know, because, you know, that deal sprung up rather quickly uh, for him to come on to college game day. And it wasn't long after that first show when Lee Corso had his struggles early on and people showed a lot of concern I'm wondering if maybe before the season there was some talk that, hey, we're concerned about Lee's health and getting through this season. Did they have maybe Pat McAfee lined up kind of sort of already, you know, to come in at any point during the season? Uh, I find I because that did happen rather lickety split. And the interesting thing about Pat McAfee and college game day. So whether Lee has been there or not, he is on the opening segments. So that clearly has aligned that he is the heir apparent to Corso, which I don't think is a big mystery there. But uh, I find that interesting because, you know, David Pollack doesn't get onto the opening segment. He comes in on segment two and he still comes in on segment two, even if Pat is there and Lee is not. I find that uh, pretty interesting. But McAfee has the personality. And the one thing, the thing that him and Lee Corso have in, they have this, uh, in common, they both can relate to the fan base, right? To the audience, especially when you're doing a show like Game Day, where that you want the audience participation. That's what's made Lee Corso. Lee Corso is 
you know, all the, the, the headgear and everything, crowd eats that up. McAfee has this unique touch. I don't know how he does it. He has this touch of relating to the fans. And you've seen it on game day. I've seen it uh, when he's done the SmackDown analyst. He gets these fans excited. And I think that's what game day was looking at. And you're right, Jeff. I think he they definitely looked at, hey, McAfee, we need to get him now because he's on fire. He's getting all these deals. Let's get him now before we lose him and we run the risk of losing him, say, to Fox. Because remember, he was doing WWE content on Fox. So what if Fox would have decided to go with McAfee on Big Noon Kickoff or something like that? I don't think ESPN wanted that. I do think McAfee is the heir apparent to Lee Corso, and I think you're right. I think the fact that he's got a signature, a significant role on the show says that much. The fact that he has, uh, the WWE was willing to let him take this gig and say, hey, we'll see you in December – I do agree. I think this is the end for Lee Corso. I it's on, you know, it's it's a bummer, uh, but I do think the end is coming to an end here. And I think, yeah, I think McAfee was part of the succession plan, and it's in their, to their credit, it's helped them here because Lee's missed some shows. Yeah, I think uh, obviously first and foremost, I don't think ESPN wanted to do this right because obviously that would mean you know something is wrong with Lee Corso. His health isn't strong, so I don't think this is a want perspective. But you know, we we, we cover sports a, a lot, the three of us, right? You hear ads and you hear you know general managers. They always have names in the top drawer of their desk, right? In case their head coach leaves, in case somebody leaves, they have the names in the top drawer of their desk. That as soon as that happens, they pull out that name and they make that phone call. I got I got to imagine Pat McAfee was in that top drawer for Lee Fitting's desk, and as soon as he recognized that there was going to be some challenges with Lee Corso, opens up the drawer and makes the phone call and, and figures out a way to make it work. I, don't, I imagine that's not a phone call he wants to make, right? Because obviously that relationships those folks have on the show together. But I assume to, to your point, business is business. And I think he recognized that, that that's the natural heir apparent from that standpoint. And you're right, Eric, he's, he's fantastic. He has such a great way of connecting with the audience. You know, even, I don't know if any, any of you watch or listen to his radio show or his podcast. I mean, he's, he's got such a dynamic personality there. He just, he he has an ability to sort of relate to the every fan, right? The every man who's listening to the show and doesn't feel like he's talking down to you. It doesn't feel like he's, you know, smarter than you. It almost feels like he's just one of you. And I think that's the connective point that he has with the audience. And you're right. He's a natural heir apparent. Now that we've talked in, in previous episodes uh, of this podcast about what does that do for the entire set of game day? I think Eric's always floated the, the conspiracy theory that when Lee goes, Kirk goes. So does this become that, that watershed moment? where the entire college game day construct as we know it kind of gets flipped up on up on its head um and then what do you do with lee corso for the rest of the year he's he's been out now a couple of shows you know uh, obviously we hope his health as well but you know how do you how do you kind of wind that down but i do think having um you know having mcafee there that's that's the clear succession plan and it's a smart one at that because he he is a talent and he can be that that person to galvanize game day and take it to that whatever 2.0 3.0 phase whatever whatever iteration of game day this might be i also think it's smart to pair him up with lee corso for some shows too to kind of see pack and see what lee does instead of just bringing him as hey this is the guy that's replacing lee corso which would be a lot more awkward he's worked with lee it's a nice you know segue there i still think they'll add perhaps a former coach i think if yep. nick saban decides to retire that's the guy they're going to go with, but they also realize Nick Saban's not Lee Corso. Pat McAfee, though, has the personality to do the Lee Corso road. doesn't have to be Nick Saban, for example, or whoever. Um, yeah. In that standpoint, I think that's a big part of this as well. Uh, and they're thinking, I do think David Pollock understands 
you know, he could be having a bigger role once Lee moves on as well. And I, I think David's fine with that. And not to not to throw a stray at somebody unrelated here. The name that always skates, Desmond Howard always skates in all this stuff. And <laughs> and for me, he doesn't add a ton to college game day, in my in my opinion. I don't know that I get great analysis out of him, but he's not a great personality. You know, he's not he's not somebody who's really connecting with the fans. And I'm not trying to push Desmond off the off the set. I recognize he's obviously brings, you know, brings a ton to the table, but he's always the name that skates overall all this stuff we talk about Kirk Lee when we talk about Lee we talk about Pollock Desmond always skates and I wonder if they're going to redo like does Desmond you know factor in in that moving forward so what you're saying is if Desmond wasn't there you don't think people would notice uh, yeah I think if you swap Desmond with David Pollock outside of the optics of what that would probably mean societally yeah. like yeah. I, I don't I don't I don't know that from an analysis standpoint that really that really changes much yeah the other thing I would have mentioned Desmond Howard is a Heisman Trophy winner I do think that's part of the deal there as well kind of well like you guys hold team. on you you can't tell me and, and and I don't know if I think I know it Jeff you were at the UCF game Eric I, I assume you watched uh, at home mm-hmm. you can't tell me you threw RG3 on that set with his personality he's a Heisman well, Trophy winner with the way he connects like that that, well, that same thing point, would be there the problem is with RG3 RG3 right now is they're using them both for NFL and college. And I think that's kind of what RG3 wants. I mean, RG3's getting for a sure. lot of airtime. He's on the Monday night pregame show, the countdown yeah. show, which he's been a great addition there. He's on like their morning shows. He's everywhere. So I agree with you. That's a great idea. I think he would be a great fit on game day, except I think RG3, as you heard on the broadcast against Cincinnati, I think he likes doing games, college games in the booth and having fun with Mark Jones. So I think ESPN is just happy using them in multi ways with the NFL and college instead of just saying, hey, you're our game day guy to to your point. But obviously, RG3 is a great that's a great point. He would be perfect otherwise. But if you're going to go to a 2.0 concept, right, where Kirk's going to going to leave, right, and you're going to blow the whole show Are up you anyway, bailing right? your boy Lane? Are you bailing on him? No mention. I mean, Lane's got, Lane's got like nine jobs. Auburn's open. He's going to Auburn. Jimbo's going to get fired. He's going to Texas A&M. He's going everywhere. Lane, Lane's busy. Um, but you, you're, if you're blown up at the set and you're going to the 2.0, right, if I told you you have Reese Davis, you can have Pat McAfee, you can have RG3, and, you know, insert coach here, and David Pollock, that's a that's a pretty darn good lineup, depending on the coach, right? But that's a, that's a pretty darn good lineup, depending upon who that looks like. I'm just throwing it out there. Desmond Howard always seems to skate when we talk about game day uh, changes. Um, but I think there's opportunities in, in some respects to bring some new faces in as well. Do we think Dan Mullen's going back to coaching? I think Dan Mullen thinks he's going back to coaching. Okay. I mean, I'm sure there will be some program that, that gives him a shot. I think he's been surprisingly good. I've actually enjoyed him on television. Yeah, uh, he's not bad. And I and so I, that's the other thing that stood out to me. I'm just trying to think of other names they could plug in there. Well, here's here's I mean, also I think if you think far ahead, here's another name I'll throw out there. There we go. Uh, he, he's a big college football name. I think we're seeing the the wind down of, of career one. Baker Mayfield. How much wow. longer is, how much longer is Baker Mayfield gonna toil around the NFL? It's not working out Carolina. At some point, he's gonna find himself looking for something. Polarizing figure, not a guy afraid to talk. Yeah, again, I think there are names out there that you could consider moving well, forward. Well, as we record as we're talking, the uh, ESPN announced that Herman Ed- Herm Edwards, Herman Edwards is back, back yeah. in the family, baby. <laughs> yeah. Back in the NFL. Just get him back on NFL live for old times' sake. There, there you go. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, that, but that is interesting that, that you that you mentioned the the Desmond Howard thing. Yeah, because we never bring his name up. So what is what does that tell you? So he's he's not really polarizing or a lightning rod or 
or or anything and he's just kind of there so and, and i know eric says he's a heisman trophy winner but again th- this age of college like how many people remember desmond howard as a heisman trophy winner like i think that's the uh, we all do right because we're all old you know college football veterans have been watching this stuff for years but the 23 year old kid at the tailgate is like that guy played <laughs> who do you play for <laughs> I, I mean and that's but rg3 would be up there baker mayfield's up there set, well, and rg3 you know? can relate to the fans as we saw he jumped absolutely like spirit splash yeah you, absolutely you up there so uh uh, boy, let's give Adam Creek a mark this down. If RG3, if anybody ESPN Lee Boom. Fitting is listening, there you go. Just take Adam's idea. RG3, part of game day. We'll know yeah. where it came from. Well, you know, I I do hope though it maybe at some point, uh, you know, and, and you don't yeah, you know, you don't want to give a guy's uh eulogy too soon, but you know, it'd be great if they could celebrate Lee in some fashion this year for all that yeah. he's meant. To, to college game day and college football. I mean, and you know, and, and God, you know, my roots go so far back with Lee Corso when he coached the Orlando Renegades of the USFL. He ended up, he was, in fact, he was the first season color analyst for the USFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, not many people remember that. And of course, uh, fun fact, uh, Bob Costas. <laughs> and, and he's, yeah. And he's been on college game day from the very beginning. Nobody else has. Well, here's what you do. Here's Brando what you do with Corso. Studio to start. Here's what you do, Corso. You, if, if this is his last season, if he's you retire the the mascot head thing, it goes out with Corso. You oh, don't yeah. have the you don't have the next person try to replicate that. If no. it's McAfee, have him do something else silly, wear a wrestling belt, you know, uh, wrestle an alligator. I don't know, but you retire the mascot head thing with Corso. Yeah. That that's got to end. Hopefully, ESPN sees that. But you can't. I don't want I don't want Nick Saban or Pat McAfee or RG three put on a mascot head. No, no, you don't do that. And I don't. You know, you can still bring him in once in a while after this year just i just think the travel is a lot for him and his age at this point i just don't think you could do it especially with the way they travel now with that show i just think that's a lot i mean he's got a home set you know well and i was told that he was a big proponent of ucf cincinnati being game day and that was was the opponent yes and he which obviously would have saved them a trip that was going to happen except you know ucf didn't play well against ecu although there's a lot of conspiracy theories or listen listen to you sons of ucf podcast for more on that Uh, (laughs) there's your plug there i have a feeling i know you thank you you know i plug i know you brought that up but Maybe bring him in once in a while, kind of like they do with Fowler from time to time. Hey, Craig, how's it going? You know, type of thing. But yeah, I think as a full-time guy, I think you got to protect him from himself, kind of like they've done with Dick Vitale to some extent. Yeah. Well, of course, uh, since you know you guys are obviously in the uh, in the uh, UCS space with the Black and Gold Banneret with Eric and Sons of UCF with Adam, uh, I figured I would at least, before we go, address the uh, – the bubbling quarterback story at UCF uh, after uh, the uh, <laughs> after the uh, the the heroics of Mikey Keene uh, leading the Knights to victory over Cincinnati to get into the top twenty five after uh, Plumley got hurt. Um, no status on Plumley for this week, but uh, you know, I think Mikey Keene, quote unquote, has entered the chat. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's a question. I'd be stunned if he didn't start. First of all, you're coming from a concussion. So you have, you know, that to give him time to recover. That's a serious injury. You have a concussion, JRP does. Number two, Mikey King played maybe the best half of football of his career. And maybe when you look at the history of UCF, I mean, think of a better relief appearance at quarterback that UCF's ever had. I can't think of one. I mean, I remember Jeff Gottfried had a great appearance off the bench against NC State and Russell Wilson. That's up there, but they didn't win that game. Uh, Brett Hodges had some comeback wins as coming off the bench, replacing Rob Calabrese. 
I mean, that saved their season. I mean, the, it, you know, it's going to be a game that, that, that could help them, who knows, win the conference title. You can look back to that. Uh, I think long-term with the excitement with going to the Big 12, and there's something about him, you know, you saw the celebration after the game, Adam. The players jumped them up in the air. He, I think they respect him. They Not that they don't with JRP, but I think they respect the fact that he has stayed through all this, right? He played last year in tough circumstances when that team was broken from an injury standpoint. He got him to win against Florida. He didn't get the job this year. It could have been easy for him to just say, you know what? I'm just going to enter the portal now and see what happens like other players do. He didn't. He's kind of been quiet, been a, a team guy. Waited, now he got his name called, and he played fantastic. I got to admit, their passing game looked as best as it did all year. And I think the offensive line, which gets lost in all this, Chad, because I do feel uncomfortable this turning into a JRP versus Mikey King. I know it's election year. We're going to be voting here soon. <laughs> I, I, look, I, I think those two guys are good guys, and I think yes. they both bring different things. The big thing now that I think is helping Mikey King is that the offensive line has improved. Great outplayed Cincinnati on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And I think that helped Mikey King. I don't think Mikey King would have been successful with the way the line played early in the year. And I think that's what Gus was thinking. But I think you got to ride Mikey King as long as he plays well. Here, here's a couple of things. Here's, here's what's funny. I'll, I'll just read you the stat line. And imagine for a second I told you that this was John Rice Plumley stat line. 15 of 21, 176 yards, no touchdowns, one rush for nine yards. We would have killed John Rice Palmy if that was his stat line. We would have said that's the worst game ever. Yet that's Mikey Keene's stat line for this game. And I think that, but what that shows you though is, is I, I don't think you can take into account. Um, I'll use the George O'Leary, you know, old, old, you know, old phrase, his fieldsmanship, right? Like I think there was certainly an element of the way that Mikey led that offense. And here's the way I'd break it down for you: John Rice Plumley is asked to be a playmaker. Mikey Keene's asked to get the ball to playmakers. And I think that's the huge difference about him being in the game is he gets the ball to, to Ryan O'Keefe. He gets the ball to Kobe Hudson. He gets the ball to Javon Baker and lets them make the plays. RJ Harvey's emerged as a running threat. I think Mikey King gets to go in there and get the ball to playmakers. I think that probably to Eric's point gets a little bit of cohesiveness, a little synergy in the offense, right? You probably get a little uptick saying, okay, we're going to throw a little bit more. Uh, JRP can make something out of nothing. But I, I think at this point, Hey, you can't you can't start JRP against against Memphis. I mean, it would be derelict of your duties. We he yeah. he literally fell on the field, right? In all in all seriousness, we saw what happened with Tua. We saw the his condition. I mean, Plumley got up, tried to take two steps, and collapsed in the field. We've got to make sure he's healthy first and foremost. It would be a, a terrible optic look for UCF to trot him out on this Saturday um, and to have him play against Memphis. So you gotta you gotta go with Keen against Memphis. But I do think to Eric's point that something felt different about this offense in the second half. There was a you felt like there was a click. I'm, I'm not gonna idea when when Cincinnati goes down scores that touchdown and we've got the ball back or whatever two and a half minutes to go and we got to drive the field I felt much differently about it being keen at quarterback than I did with Plumlee and I don't know why that is I don't I can't I don't have an answer for you because I've seen Plumlee play really well too I think Something I just felt that. different about that I think I can answer that because I think he's more decisive as a passer so you know he's he knows how to read the coverage better and I think too when you go back to the point of the offensive line the offensive line has to hold their blocks longer for Plumley because yeah. he's he's not making the reads the same way, and and they have to hold their blocks longer in order for him to make a big run. So I think that's I think those are two very important yeah. factors. And I thought the offense was as as smooth as it's been all year. 
in the second half of that Cincinnati game. And, I, and I, to Eric's point, I hate saying things like this. I'm gonna I'm gonna say a phrase, and I'm gonna tell you in advance. I hate saying this phrase because I don't I don't mean it to be the way it's gonna sound. It just seemed like the team was energized when Mikey Keene came in. It seemed like Eric kind of mentioned that they all rallied around him, and there was just an uptick in energy, and they were they were ready to go play for him. And that doesn't mean they're not ready to do that for John Rice Plumley. And that's not that's not how I how I mean that. Right. You could just feel just you just felt different. Like there was a switch that flipped on. And look, I love the confidence Gus Malzahn said after the game that as they were trotting into the locker room at after on the way to halftime, that Keen looked at him and said, "Don't worry, coach, I got you." Like there's there's something about that confidence level. I think his teammates see that. I think they gravitate to that. He talked about being ready. He talked about kind of Owen oh, Cincinnati one. Uh, it, it was a great performance. It's it's going to be an interesting decision. We're about to find out really quickly uh, how Gus feels about uh, about making these kind of decisions because there certainly would would be an argument to be made on either side. Um, and so we'll see. But I think Plumlee's health has to be first and foremost, right? We got to make sure he's okay. I think you ride him as long as he plays well and. Uh, yeah. Look, he had the chemistry with Ryan O'Keefe. Didn't you see that? Like, it was like last year. I think that's a big factor. He played last year. A lot of these guys know him. So there's that trust and confidence in him that maybe otherwise they wouldn't have when somebody else came into the game. So I would just write it. Now, he's got to perform. Let's see now because, you know, before we throw the parade, I know we're putting him a, we're trying to build him a statue and he's a legend and all this stuff. Um, teams will have tape on him now. I'll be curious what happens with Memphis and Tulane on the road which UCF, and I've brought this up on the podcast, I brought this up. They are a different team on the road. They're one in five under Gus outside of the state of Florida. That one win was at Temple. So the issue is not when they play in the state of Florida, it's when they play outside the state of Florida. So can they carry this over outside the state of Florida? I want to see it first before we crown anybody a deal there. And Mikey Keenan was the quarterback for three of those losses. So, yeah. I mean, he, he's got, you know, he's got dirt on his hands too, unfortunately, with that record too. So he's got something to prove from this one as well. Yeah. Well, one thing we can say, Mikey Keen has beaten Cincinnati. Dylan Gabriel did not. Oh, <laughs> oh. Jeff, Jeff, wow. <laughs> Jeffrey, Jeff, just take, I mean, he's just calling out stuff today. Yeah. Yeah. He's not wrong, though. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, if, is, is there any chance the Big 12 will give us Oklahoma here in the bounce house? We should find out soon. I think the schedule will be out in the next month or two. There's already, uh, you know, some. Spe- I know the teams, the schedules are finalized. It's just when they're going to announce it. I've heard it could be the end of the month. So uh, one can wonder wonders. <laughs> a buddy of mine had a great idea. He said, if Oklahoma plays here, we have to play an old video, Dylan Gabriel, on the on the video board. Get up, come on, let's go uh, when, uh, for UCF. Uh, even at, will Dylan Gabriel be there? Well, that's true too. That's a- like I think that's the other question. W- will he be there? Will he? Will he try to go to the league after this year? I don't think he's had a a fantastic season. Maybe uh, at least that, maybe. But will he? Will he be there? I, I don't know. <laughs> what if Jeff Levy leaves to get a job? What's he going to do then? So it'll be interesting <laughs> to see if he's even on the field if that happens. All right, that's awesome. All right, well, guys, please, as we get as always, do we get to the end of the show? We always have new listeners, so we want to make sure that uh, you do your shameless plugs. Eric, lead it. Well, you can find me at Eric Lopez Elo with the Jim Nance photo that I took with Jim Nance back at the uh, Amway Center. Hello, a good friend. Hello, friend. Hello. Uh, I'll be calling UCF Volleyball this weekend. They place SMU on Friday night, top 25 ranked volleyball. Yes. Then on Sunday against Memphis. Uh, so I'll be calling those games on ESPN Plus to check that out. Of course, blackandgoldbanneret.com for all the latest. We'll have our regular podcast content. You name it there as well. Uh, among other content there. But uh, Eric Lopez-Eglos, where you can uh, keep up with all the content that I'm doing. 
And you've done some soccer this year, and I think you've women's me- soccer. Yeah, uh, I have and- split with Evan Weston, who does who's the voice of Orlando City. I got to split with him as far as doing play-by-play for women's soccer. Also in the top 25, won the regular season title in the American as this incredible run of women athletics at UCF continues. And I've been very fortunate to uh, to say I've called three teams this in 2022. They're all ranked in the top 25. It's softball, obviously, in their historic <laughs> year, volleyball, and women's soccer. So. There you go. So, so Adam, we're just hoping that Eric will carry our podcasts into the top 25. Top 25. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't call anybody in the top 25. Uh, I get a chance though, to work with some great guys on the Sons of UCF. Uh, you can find us on social media at Sons of UCF. We do audio podcasts usually out Tuesdays. We do a live show on Thursdays. That's myself, UCF Mike, and, uh, and Trace Trelko. Always have a cavalcade of guests on that Thursday show. Uh, if you want to check that out, go to our YouTube channel, which is at Sons of UCF. Again, subscribe to our podcast, Shame shameless shameless plug last week we finally caught up with that legendary ucf quarterback dante wow, culpepper that, that is that is out and available so for, for those of you who are longtime ucf fans dante doesn't do a ton of media so we were super fortunate that he uh, gave us 30 minutes of his time so again search sons of ucf wherever you do that kind of stuff and uh, you'll find us out there I actually tease that a little bit because I think that, that that's a gr- an incredible great get for you yes. guys, you and Trace and company. Just give the audience kind of a give me your takeaway from that interview with Dante because he doesn't talk to many people. I think it's the first time he's talked at length uh, with anybody. And I, Jeff, I can't remember the last time he's spoken as lengthy as he did with Adam and Trace and Mike as he did for a half hour. They're talking UCF and his career. I, it's been a long time, Adam. So that's a really a great cool there. What what was your takeaway? Yeah, I think yeah, it, what's interesting about Dante, I think he, we, at some point in the conversation, he actually brought up on his own that he's been around UCF. I think he, I think he ruffles at the narrative that he hasn't been around or hasn't been uh, available. Uh, I think he, you know, certainly everybody has things in their life. I, I don't know if many people know Dante as young kids, right? So you're, uh, you know, you, you're watching them grow. Now they're in high school, right? Now they're graduating. So the, the amount of time that you have to spend around a program, I think, is sometimes limited. I think he bristles at the fact that, uh, that, that people think he's not been around. Um, and doesn't take long to listen to the interview to tell that he, he's he's just not one who's about, about himself anymore he you know uh, even in the conversation i thought was funny eric I don't, I don't know if either of you picked up on this but he always perked up when we were asked about a teammate Whenever he said, tell me more about Sire Burley, right? Tell me more about the funniest teammate. He perks up. Tell us about this coach. Tell us about that coach. Tell us about your teammates. He always perked up. I think he's just one that, you know, he's done his his time in the the spotlight. He's done his time, you know, in front of cameras and media. And he just wants to kind of hang out, retire, watch some football. He was at the Cincinnati game. I don't know if anybody saw him. He wasn't, he wasn't honored on the field. He wasn't, he wasn't the coin toss guy, Uh, but it was great to hear his memories. And there's one thing you can tell in that conversation. He, he truly, truly loves UCF and the, amount of uh, the amount of times he talked about what being a UCF Knight meant to him what it meant to be a part of that what it meant to build what's what's there he has a tremendous amount of pride of that he's just not somebody I think who wants to be in front of the cameras in front of the microphones uh, which again you can totally respect but it, it was great to catch up with him uh, again uh, one of the legends of UCF sports uh, and anytime you can talk to any of those individuals it's always a, a career highlight for all of us yeah that's outstanding stuff all right guys as always man thanks for being on the show appreciate it anytime Jeff Thanks, Jeff. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs.
Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer Cell is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.